0: All right. If you have your Bible, open and find the Old Testament book of Genesis again. We've been in Genesis ever since the beginning of this series. And we've been in this series now four weeks. We're still in the book of Genesis. That just tells you how foundational and important the book of Genesis is. For your understanding of God and the gospel. And by the way, if you don't come on Sunday nights, you ought to, because uh, Pastor Brian is preaching through Genesis on Sunday nights. It's John in the mornings, and it's Genesis at, and, at Sunday night. He, he preached a great he was in Genesis two, one to three, last Sunday night, preached a sermon on the Sabbath. It was really good. You ought to go to the podcast and listen to it. Um, but come on Sunday nights. Anyway, we are in the 15th chapter. We'll be in the I say we're in the 15th chapter. Turn to Genesis 15. We'll read a passage from Genesis 15 in a minute, but we are um, thinking about a covenant that's going to really we're going to look at chapters 12, 15 and 17 uh, at different junctures of tonight, but we'll, we'll open at 15. Uh, like I said last week, the Bible's a big book. Written over many years, many different men tells one story. Tells one story because ultimately it has God for its author, and um, that's why these covenants are so important. Because these are the things that tie that one story together. Um, The the covenants and the it shows us our predicament, our sin predicament before a holy God, and also provides us the answer ahead of time in in shadows and types in the Old Testament that that help you see how they were looking forward to and expecting the messiah when he came that's how they knew they knew it through these covenants um yeah just a reminder too we're in genesis and we're in the third covenant we're going to think about tonight and we're in we're in early genesis it just shows you that the story the movement the movement of history towards salvation and as soon as i say those words that's just a that's just another the movement of history towards salvation the Christian faith is a historical faith. Like, I don't know if you ever dwell on that. Like, it's the, the Christian faith is not just ideas or ideals, they're, they're facts of history. It's, it's things that actually happened that, that uh, earn the salvation of all who believe. Um, that's the confidence we can have. But the, the movement toward history, in history towards salvation didn't, didn't begin with the birth of Christ. Um, how do we know? Well, several ways. The Bible doesn't begin in Matthew. It begins in Genesis. But also, remember I, last week I mentioned Simeon. Uh, in early uh, part of Luke's gospel, who was Simeon? Luke describes Simeon as a devout man, uh, righteous and devout. He, he, was, he would wait daily by the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, wait, It says, to use the Luke's words, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. How did he have this in his mind? covenants and it said he was also waiting because to 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 tell you what luke said because it had been revealed to him by the holy spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the lord's christ when the holy spirit revealed that to simeon that he wouldn't die until he had seen the lord's christ he didn't go who you know in all likelihood he fell on his face and rejoiced that he would see the christ with his own eyes and uh, why would he have fallen on his face? Because he, this was the Savior that had been promised. He knew who had been promised. The world had been waiting for. Ever since God cursed the serpent and cursed Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, he had promised uh, to send one who would crush the head of Satan and, and, and save his people from their sins. That's Genesis 3.15. That's the Proto-Evangelion. It's the first gospel in the, in, in the Scriptures. And from that moment on, Throughout the Old Testament, God built on that first promise. He, Genesis 3.15 is the first promise of the gospel. And all the successive covenants thereafter build upon that promise. And Ephesians 2.12, that's why Ephesians 2.12 calls, uh, if I can with one hand get there, Ephesians 2.12, I'll just bump it. Ephesians 2.12 calls all these covenants that we're studying Covenants of promise, they're covenants of promise. They're, they're, they're built on that first promise of Genesis 3.15, and they, they further reaffirm that promise again and again and add another layer of complexity, another layer of, uh, that illustrates in greater, greater clarity the salvation that's coming. That seed form in Genesis 3.15, by the time you get to the end of the Old Testament, you got guys like Simeon just waiting to see, waiting to see. It, they, they, they would recognize him when he came uh, if, they, if the Holy Spirit gave them eyes to see. When, when, G, when, when Simeon laid his eyes on Jesus at eight days old, he said, he prayed, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And when he said, "My eyes have seen your salvation," he he knew what that word meant, because a, 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 an elaborate picture of it had been painted through these covenants. Um, all right, so two weeks ago we considered the covenant of works, the covenant of creation, in the in the in the uh, chapters two, well chapters one to three in in Genesis, the covenant of works or covenant of creation that God it was a covenant that God made with all people through their representative. The first man, Adam. If you want the ten-dollar word uh, for that representative, if you ever dive deeper into these covenants or covenant theology, he was a federal head. Federal meaning covenant head. He was the one in whom we are all represented, and when he fell, uh, well, our fates were were solely tied up with what would he do. Would he obey? And that was that covenant of works. It was, it was a blessing for obedience, cursing if disobedience, a covenant which he obviously broke in you know, Genesis 3 uh, through his disobedience that affected not only him, but because he was our representative, he was our federal head, it affected everybody that he representative with, represented, which was everybody. Everybody that would come, ever come into the world after him. So Everybody already comes into the world, already guilty already corrupt. And, 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 and then we come into the world that way and then we demonstrate our guilt and we demonstrate our corruption as soon as we are old enough to perform moral action. All right? The covenant of works showed us our sin and it showed us our guilt and it showed us our need for a savior. And in the story of Genesis, sin became so pervasively wicked on the earth that God eventually destroyed the world with a flood. And then last week, we looked at the covenant with Noah in Genesis 6 and and 7 and 8, where he promised never to destroy the world by flood again. More importantly, he promised to keep day and night, summer and winter, seed time and harvest, coming in order to provide time and place for the Savior to come. What what do we take away from that? We took away from that that time is a gift from God. Um, every passing day is not just another passing day. Every passing day is another opportunity given to you and given to other people by God to trust Jesus as your Savior and, um, and to follow him as your Lord. Well, today we come to the next covenant in the Old Testament. It's a big one. Um, it's, uh, it's one of the most important covenants in the Bible. It's the covenant with Abraham. The covenant with Abraham. So significant is this covenant um, that even, that it's significant to the coming of Christ and the promises made to Abraham that even Jesus called those who would come to him in repentance and faith, he called them sons of Abraham. And so tonight, we want to think about uh, this crucially important covenant for a bit. Uh, like I said, I'm going to make two points. Uh, the, the first point uh, is going to look mainly at chapters 12 and 17. Uh, the third point will count mainly in chapter 15. But chapter 15 is the funnest chapter, so we're going to read, uh, read that one. Uh, all right, so we'll just read the whole chapter of Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield Your reward shall be very great. So again, God had already come to him back in chapter 12. This is the second time he's... Or another major milestone in Abram's life of meeting with the Lord. Verse 2. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. That was something he had promised him back in chapter 12. In the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold... And he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And he, but he said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, And laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400, and 400 years. You know what that's talking about, right? That's, that's Israelites enslaved in Egypt. Prophesied ahead of time right here. But I will bring judgment on that nation and that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions. That's prophesying Exodus eleven two. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Verse 15, as for yourself, you shall go to your father, fathers in peace and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Let's pray. Oh, God, this, this, this chapter that we just read, we're going to look at, at an important passage in chapter 12 and Important words in chapter 17 we're going to look at words in the New Testament we're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight and thank you that we can be confident that your word is is holy it is inspired it is infallible it's inerrant sufficient it's clear authoritative it's necessary for if if you haven't told us any of these things they are beyond our finding out Thank you for your self-revelation to us. The most important thing we could think about in our life. And Lord, I pray that you would give us minds to think about these things tonight. and you give us minds to understand it? Would you please, Lord, give us eyes to see it in the first place? Give us hearts to embrace it and love it. Wills to obey. It's a work that only you can do. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would give us all ears to hear you. You speaking to us in your word. Give me the help that I need to teach. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, uh, as we looked at the, the Noahic covenant, I said if there were two words that could sort of summarize the, 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 the message of that covenant, it would be time and place. Time and place. That, that God would not destroy the, the world with a flood again, thereby providing the place for the Savior to come. And... Um, And he would keep summer and winter and springtime and harvest and sun and moon going to provide the time for that Savior to come and then for the nations to hear his gospel and have time to repent and believe. Well, this week we're going to think about the Abrahamic covenant. And if there are two words I think that can summarize the message of this covenant, perhaps those words could be grace and guarantee. Grace and guarantee. Um... If this covenant with Abraham teaches us anything about the salvation that was to come in Jesus Christ it teaches us first that salvation is by God's grace alone it's by God's grace alone that's going to be the first point that there's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it and secondly not only is it by God's grace alone but it is guaranteed by God's promise it's guaranteed by God's promise The reception of salvation is by God's grace alone. The provision of that salvation is guaranteed by the character and the promise of God. And we're going to see those two truths are made clear to us in chapters 12 and 17 and also in this somewhat odd ceremony in Genesis 15. So let's dive in and think first about the first truth, that salvation is by God's grace alone. I want to try to make clear how this covenant with Abraham is, in fact, a picture of the salvation coming in Christ. Because at first glance, if you just read chapter 15, it may not be altogether apparent, but it's much clearer if you add it to what is said to chapters, in chapters 12 and 17. So, uh, hold your place here, just flip back to chapter 12, and, and, and let's see um, what is first said in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. This is a, a paradigmatic, text in the covenant with Abraham Genesis 12 1 to 3 so now the Lord said to Abram go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless you bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed now, in those verses, this is important to, to these are important uh, foundational building blocks of the covenant with Abraham. God promises three basic things to Abraham in those verses. He promises land, offspring, and blessing. Okay? If you don't get those three things, you're going to kind of be lost in the covenant with Abraham. Land, offspring, and blessing. So God, God's promises revolve around those three things. Um, and as we sit here right now, you might read that and think, that's nice and everything, but what in the world does that have to do with me? Um, let's look one more place before we try to put all that together. Now turn over to Genesis 17. Genesis 12 told us land, offspring, and blessing. Now, In Genesis 17 when you get there I want you to notice how God repeats these same promises but he adds an important detail in chapter 17 that we haven't seen yet so let's read verses 1 through 8 when Abram was 99 years old the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him I am God Almighty walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly then Abram fell on his face And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. That's offspring. No longer shall your name be called Abram. Your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. That's offspring. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you. Uh, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you, and I will give to you and your offspring after you, what? The land. The land of your sojourns and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. So he talks about blessing. He talks about land. He talks about offspring. But now you see a very important detail. If Maybe, I don't know if you picked up on it in chapter 17 that we didn't see of those th- three things in chapter 12. Uh, notice carefully how how the covenant is described, for example, in verse 7 again. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. An everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And again in verse 8. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I'll be their God. So let me ask you, if God were making these promises here to Abraham that were everlasting, has everlasting run out yet? No. So these promises to Abraham have everything to do with you and me today because in some form, they are still in effect. They're still promises They're promises that will last forever. They're everlasting promises. So you take that description that this is an everlasting covenant with everlasting promises and apply that to each of the the three aspects of the promise that he made. You get that God isn't just promising Abraham land. He's promising an everlasting land. He's not just promising Abraham a son or offspring, but an everlasting son. And he's not just promising an everlasting descendant. We'll get more on that in a minute. He's not just promising everlasting, he's not just blessing, but everlasting blessing. And when you think about it that way, the significance of it begins to come a little more into focus. Um, God is promising to Abraham an everlasting son who would bring everlasting blessing in an everlasting land. But that way, it might sound a little more familiar to you. Now, um, it does need to be acknowledged that, because we just read these, these are historical documents. It needs to be acknowledged that the covenant that God is making with Abraham here is not a purely spiritual covenant. Um, It has a very national element to it. I mean, it's in this covenant that the nation of Israel began. When we come to the covenant the law covenant with Moses next week, it has its roots in this one. Because when he comes to, when he comes to Moses and gives the law, it's, it, he's talking to the same group of people, the group of people that come out of Abraham. Right? Um, and if you, look at, if you look at verse 6 in chapter 17, by the way, uh, he says, kings shall come from you, which of course would later be the kings of Israel, pr- predominantly David and his descendants. But the nation of Israel and their kings and the earthly, earthly promised land that they would dwell in and enjoy and eventually be exiled from were, were intended always by God to be earthly pictures of a much greater spiritual reality promised. How do we see that? Is it because we want it to be true or does the Bible lead us to, to think that? Yeah, it does. Because when you come to the New Testament, and the New Testament is always our greatest light of interpreter on the Old Testament. When you come to the New Testament, you see greater clarity given onto this offspring that he promised to Abraham. Um, Yeah, uh, sure, the offspring that God promised to Abraham in these early verses, it was talking about a whole nation of people would come from you. But when you come to the New Testament, there's another sense in which, ultimately, this promise of offspring given to Abraham centers on one person in particular, one offspring in particular. Um, listen to what Paul would say many centuries later in Galatians 3.16. If you're taking notes, Galatians 3.16 is a very important verse. And he's reflecting on the promise to Abraham, and he says, Now the promises... This is Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Listen to what Paul says. It does not say, and to offsprings... Referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Now, Paul's doing something a little sneaky there, but it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Uh, The word offspring is a good example of it. The word offspring in English is just as it was in the Hebrew. Uh, it's It's a collective noun right it's it's uh it's sort of the same in in the singular as it is in the plural or we have other nouns like that they're the same in the singular as they are in the plural deer is an example deer is singular deer is also plural um it could refer to many it could refer to one and and Paul's point in Galatians three sixteen is that when God made these promises uh to Abraham and to his offspring, it literally said the word if another older uh, Older English translations would say, the promise is made to you and your seed. Right? It's one particular descendant, Paul says. The Holy Spirit says through Paul. Uh, and he says it was Jesus Christ. Or the promise of land. Why do we think that the earthly promised land was some picture of a greater land coming? Because the New Testament tells us. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 makes it clear that when God promised this land to Abraham, it was not ultimately about the earthly promised land that Joshua led the people in to take, but it was a picture of a greater land coming. Hebrews 11 verses 13 to 16. Hebrews 11 13 to 16 says about that land promised in the Old Testament. It says about that land. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak, speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. They realize that God had promised Abraham an everlasting land. There is no everlasting land on this earth. So God's promise to Abraham of an everlasting land is also a promise of heaven. And so in Genesis 12, God promised three things to Abraham as part of this covenant. Land, offspring, blessing. Genesis 17, we learned that all these things are everlasting promises. Everlasting land, everlasting son, everlasting blessing. New Testament teaches that Jesus is that everlasting son who would bring the everlasting blessing of salvation, of forgiveness of sins, and bring us into an everlasting land of of heaven itself, new heavens and new earth with him. Everything we have in Jesus was foretold in seed form all these many centuries before to Abraham. God was showing them Ahead of time, albeit in faint ways, what was coming in Jesus. I've I've said this many many times uh, over the years. I you some of you may have heard it many times. Maybe some of you never heard me say this. But B.B. Uh, Warfield has a has a great analogy when it comes to the promises and the types and the shadows we see in the Old Testament. He says the Old Testament is like a room that is that is. Thoroughly furnished, but it's dimly lit. It's thoroughly furnished, but it's dimly lit. It's, it's all there. But until the light of the New Testament comes, you can't see it clearly. But, but the, light flip, the light switch goes on in the New Testament. You look back and you go, it's all there. It's all there. Everything we have in Jesus was foretold in seed form all those many centuries before. Let me point out something else here, though, because we're, we're making this point. Salvation is by God's grace alone. Who was Abraham before God called him and spoke to him these promises? Do you know? Was he a righteous man that God said, man, I need to make a covenant with this guy? No. He was a, I mean, Genesis 12, he was a pagan man from a pagan family living in a pagan land. Uh, He had had not, not done anything to earn or deserve anything that God just promised him in 12, 15, and 17. Had not done anything. Wasn't even asking for it. God simply came to him, leave the land and go to the land that I'll show you. Um, and in that way, Abraham is, 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 is like what we saw with Noah last week. Do you remember what we saw with Noah last week in Genesis 6? It said in, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 7, it says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 8 says, now Noah was a righteous man. It didn't say he was a righteous man, and then he found favor. It said he found favor, and then he became a righteous man. The grace preceded the godliness, right? And, and, and that's, what, that's the way it works, and that's exactly the point we see here with Abraham too. God is promising salvation to Abraham, which Abraham did not deserve, nor could ever deserve, never even asked for, which is exactly the same point for every one of us. What what have we done to deserve what God has promised? Now if you finally look back at at Genesis 15, all that God requires of Abraham to receive these promises is simply that he trusts him. It's simply that he believed the promise. That's exactly what he did in verse 6. Genesis 15, 6 is one of your most important verses in the whole Bible. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. You might want to, if you're an underliner in your Bible, underline that one. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This, That right there is the verse that the Apostle Paul will take up and quote again and again and again. Um, to show what? To show what God required of Abraham to be counted righteous in God's sight. Believe. It's the same as he requires of us. Faith alone. Abraham was faith alone in the coming Savior. We are faith alone in the Savior who has come. We're all saved in the same way. Abraham was not saved by this covenant. He was saved by the covenant that this one pro- pointed to, which is the new covenant. And then Romans 3 tells us this, that, that in, in God's forbearance, he had passed over former sins. He just passed them over. Put them all on Jesus in the new covenant so that in Jesus... Uh, He could be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Nobody is justified in any way other than in Jesus. The New Testament, the New Covenant reached back for Abraham, and it reaches forward to us. Right? We're all saved in the same way. Salvation, though, is by God's free grace alone. God, under no obligation, promised to save sinners, and He simply asks us to believe Him. Believe Him. Now, Genesis 17, 1 will say... God will say to Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. But this was not to earn the favor of God because he had already received the favor of God in Genesis 15, 6. This, this walk before me and be blameless, that's just the that obedience that he commands of Abraham, that's simply the obedience of faith. That's, that's how you know faith is not empty. James will say faith without works is dead. It's dead faith. That's how you know faith does things. He was counted righteous in Genesis 15:6. Now, walk before me and be blameless. But now let's take a, an even closer look at Genesis 15 and take a look at this odd ceremony described and how it teaches us that salvation is not only God's grace to all who believe, but sa- he, salvation is also God's guarantee to all who believe. Let's think about that with me quickly. So Genesis 15, we read it earlier. There you have verse 6. You see Abraham believing God's promise. Just a couple of verses later. It's funny. It's so instructive. (laughs) Read your Old Testament, man. It's so it 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 it, it has human nature pegged. (laughs) Because you you have verse 6, Abraham believing God and Being counted as righteous because of his faith. And then you see in verse 8, Abraham being very human. Verse 8, how how am I to know? How how, how am I to know, God, that I shall possess it? How can I know for sure? Saving faith in verse 6. Verse 8, how can I know for sure? God's grace is so hard for us to understand or truly come to terms with. If we understand God's holiness, if we understand our sin and our guilt before God, if I'm aware of how twisted I still am and broken I still am and sinful I still am, it's hard for us to really grasp that salvation is completely, in every way, unearned by us. We constantly slip back into, I'm not good enough, I need to do more. And then we doubt God's grace. But if God gave grace because we were good enough, it would no longer be grace. And so God makes this covenant with Abraham to make sure that Abraham knows that his salvation is completely by his free grace. And it's also completely guaranteed to come about just as he's promised. So he enters in this ceremony, this covenant ceremony with Abraham. It's pretty graphic but it was was designed to show the absolute seriousness of the covenant. Much of what you read in Genesis 15 was actually pretty standard for that day for covenant making. I cannot imagine. I mean, it, it was standard. Can you imagine, though? I cannot imagine me driving home from work one day in my neighborhood and seeing this going on in one of my neighbor's front yard and just thinking, oh, yeah, they're making a promise. Um... But in that day, if like, if, if, if two people or two parties were making a covenant with each other, in order to emphasize the seriousness of this promise that they were making with each other, and the seriousness of their promise to uphold their end of the bargain, they would like sacrifice animals, several animals, all kinds of animals, turtle doves and stuff, goats, heifers. They would sacrifice them, cut them in half lay the halves opposite each other with a, with a path down the middle. And at that point, in the, normal, in the normal course of things, both parties would then walk between those dead animals. Right? I'm sure it smelled great. Um, what, why would they do that, though? To symbolize the, 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 the seriousness of the promise. You cannot, like, jokingly walk between split and two dead animals. That's, you know something serious is going on. But also what it was symbolizing in very graphic form, the seriousness of the consequences if they failed to uphold their end of the bargain. It was basically a vivid and graphic pictorial version of them saying, calling down the curses upon themselves. May I become like these dead animals if I should fail to uphold my end of the bargain. If I should break my, my word, if I should break my promise may I become like that goat <laughs> that's dead and cut in half like that's what it, that's what it was um, that's how it usually happened that's not exactly what happened in Genesis 15 though God had instructed Abraham to sacrifice all the animals cut them in half lay them opposite each other at that point Abraham was probably thinking no big deal I've done this a thousand times you know but maybe not with God uh, and at the moment that you would expect Abraham to pass through the pieces, what happens? He goes to sleep. God causes him to fall asleep. Verse 12: As the sun went down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And while Abram slept, God passed through the pieces. You see that in verse 17. God's, you're like, where do I see God? I see in verse 17 a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Is that God? Yeah, it is. Fire and cloud, very common images of the presence of God in the Old Testament, even on the Mountain of Transfiguration. Um, God passed through the pieces. God took all of the responsibility upon Himself to keep the covenant. Abraham was asleep while it happened. And there was nothing for Abraham to do but believe and trust. I love, by the way, this is just an aside. Notice how, notice just the vivid imagery that it says in verse 12, the sun was going down. Dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. In verse 17, again, the sun had gone down. It was dark. Fire comes out. It's like, it reminds me of Isaiah. Out of, out of darkness, the people have seen a great light. You know, what God was going to do. God passed through the pieces. There was nothing for Abraham to do but believe and trust. And the promise was so certain that God himself was willing to say, may I become like these animals if I fail to keep my end of the bargain. In other words, as surely as God lives, he keeps his promise. That's about as certain as certain can be. It's his guarantee to all who believe. We live in a, we're blessed to live in a time where we're not, we're not still waiting on God to fulfill his promise like Abraham had to do. Remember? Remember? Hebrews 11. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. You know, but we we're on this side. And God has already filled the promise. Jesus has come, and he's he's the everlasting Son, and he brought with him the blessing, the everlasting blessing of forgiveness of sins, the assurance of eternal life in an everlasting land, the new heavens and the new earth. And God made good on this promise. Um, and all He requires of us is that we trust His Word. And even then, all He requires of us is that we trust His Word. And even then, it's all of His grace. Because He then gives us His Holy Spirit who makes us willing and able to believe. God called Abraham, though, to leave where he was. Go to the land that I'll show you. You've got to leave here to go find what I have for you. And just like that, God calls us to leave our lives as they are, repenting of our sin, trusting Him to forgive. Find our life in Christ. Let's, uh, Let's pray. Lord, this is a, a beautiful word there's so much more Lord that I know that 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 could be said that needed to be said um, yeah Lord I pray that um that if 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 there are things about this that um, that were still confusing or perhaps there's something about this covenant that I did not uh, address um, that someone still is curious about. I pray that they might come find me after this is over or ask me at Theology Thursday tomorrow. Um, what, a beautiful, what a beautiful thing to do, Lord, that you've allowed us to do. We come here every Wednesday night and just think about another promise you made to us. My goodness. You're so good to us, and we love you for it.